Before I introduce my first guest, I wanted to lead in with some accolades of an NCAA women's basketball coach that include, but are not limited to by any means, 11 postseason appearances, nine seasons of 20 plus wins, including a 31 and three record in 1991-92, two NCAA final four appearances, coach of the NCAA women's basketball, all-time leading scorer, and with all that, a retired jersey in her honor hanging from the rafters of JQH Arena in Springfield, Missouri. It is my pleasure to have on former Southwest Missouri State Lady Bears coach, Cheryl Burnett. Coach, thanks for being on and for helping me uh, debut my podcast. Hi, Tyler. I'm, I'm very privileged to be uh, your first uh, <laughs> asked to be on the podcast. Well, I'm happy to have you. And uh, uh, for those of you, just for some context, this is not my first interview of Coach Burnett, believe it or not. She was always very gracious when I was in grad school at Loyola with if I needed a quick quote for a, a sports paper or some sort of an interview for a project I was doing. She was always uh, right there. So I'm certainly very appreciative and uh, very appreciative to have you on, Coach. So uh, how are you holding up with everything going on? Well, are you talking about everything in the world right now uh, with COVID, with uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very uncertain times, that's for sure. It really is a challenge, but I will have to say uh, living on Table Rock Lake and uh, my world really isn't that much different other than I can't travel like I usually travel, but uh Boy, I can get in the outdoors uh, out here by the lake, and uh, I garden a lot and do some of those things to try to keep its normalcy. Uh, uh, now, I will say I had my 88-year-old mom at my house when COVID uh, first started. I, I got her out of her home, brought her down with me for six weeks. So that was a wonderful time with my 88-year-old mother. Sounds like it. And, and of course, uh, with all that, got to spend quality time. And then you're also living uh, on Table Rock Lake, which in doing uh, the research I've done, sounds like that was always a dream of yours as well while you were coaching. You know, Tyler, it really was. It was just one of those things that I just kind of always knew. Really, I had a uh, a boat that I dry docked at Table Rock Lake the entire time. I lived in Springfield, never got to use it, hardly ever. Um, but being on the water and the beautiful natural surroundings that Table Rock Lake is, um, I just always knew when I retired, I was going to find a place and uh, retire down here. And I didn't find a place. I had to find uh, rough land, uh, natural <laughs> land, and end up building it. But that's okay, too, because I think I got the uh, best of all worlds that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad to hear it sounds like you're enjoying it down there despite everything going on. And uh, so kind of to transition now into your your career, um, obviously, a lot of my listeners will have Southwest Missouri ties. So we'll know you from your very successful time at SMS, now Missouri State University. But before we get to that, Coach, I really want to talk about your time growing up in Centralia, Missouri and playing high school ball there and and how that led you to playing at KU? Well, my my upbringing at Centralia, Missouri, I, I smile when you bring up my hometown. Uh, 
you know, and in coaching at Southwest Missouri, we always had a Centralia Day and literally five to 600 people would come uh, to our game. I'm very, very connected still back to my hometown. In fact, I'm probably going back on Saturday. Unfortunately, one of my very best friends growing up, uh, his father passed away, but um, very connected to Centralia. was two, um, lived in the same house for 50 years, uh, right down the street from the basketball park, the great park system in Centralia. Uh, My high school coach, uh, I was one of his first babysitters before I even uh, got into school, worked for him at the pool. We had a great pool at Centralia. So he was such an instrumental part of my life. Uh, and of course my mom and dad, but uh, you know, my dad was such a sports guy. My mom's a sports person also, don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> uh, just such great influences there. They always talked about, you know, I was the one girl usually out at the park uh, trying to get some of my other teammates out there, but I was out there with all the guys. Um, and, and of course, with our high school coach being also the director of the park, we had some really good basketball courts out there. So um, he was always <laughs> Coach Enlow was always driving by to see who was out there, and that was really important for all of us to know he was watching us. Absolutely. So was it one of those there where you know before the the school bus picked you up to go to school, you were out there, and then you know recess comes around, you were playing basketball, and then after school you were out there till it was time for dinner. Was it was it kind of like that? It, it was uh, the school bus part. No, I lived in the middle of town and walked to school every day. But uh, yes, yeah. uh, in fact, uh, my brother-in-law just uh, gave me my original hoop that was on the garage. Uh, We had a detached garage. So out there, my dad had configured some kind of hoop, was not a real hoop that you go and buy. He had configured it. And then the other day, uh, thanks to Facebook, one of my original babysitters said, oh my gosh, yes, I remember when you were this little bitty kid and I'd come babysit and I had to go outside because you were always working on your shot. And honestly, I had not remembered that, but I was thrilled that I was one of those little kids out working on my shot every time. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, you know, you had a very successful high school career being an All-American and and that then led to you becoming the first female athlete at Kansas University to receive a full ride scholarship. So talk to me about kind of that process, the recruiting process, what led you to KU? I know you're still very much a part of like their alumni uh, events up there. And, and just talk to me about your experience leading up to that and then with being at KU. Well, Tyler, I always think that my age is such and was such an asset Uh You know, I graduated from high school. I hate to age myself, but I will. Um, I graduated from high school in 1976. Uh, When I was in eighth grade is when there was talk of maybe a team forming in high school. In fact, my mother was instrumental in getting the girls basketball program reinstated. My mom had played at Centralia in the 1940s. 
They dropped girls basketball at Centralia during that time. I'm not sure why it was after she had graduated. Um, so mom went to the school board uh, in 71, 72, got girls high school basketball back. My mother had been working for Coach Inlow. She was the one employee that he had for summer recreation. Um, and so mom was instrumental. So, you know, we're playing six games total my freshman year in high school. The reason my age, I think, is always critical is in 1972, which would have been my freshman year in high school, is when Title IX was passed. I don't think that actually had anything to do with the timing of my life in that sense, but it definitely had something to do with the University of Kansas first being able to offer full-ride scholarships the year I came out of high school. And honestly, Tyler, um, you know, I love my time at Kansas, but, you know, I was just the kid that practiced hard, played some pretty good defense. You know, I had some offensive skills, but, you know, I was playing with the likes of Adrian Mitchell, who recently got her jersey retired there, and Lynette Woodard, a four-time Kodak All-American, Olympic team caliber players, you know, Adrian was already there. Adrian should have had the first uh, full scholarship. I just came at the right time of Title IX. Yes, absolutely. And Title IX would, uh, after that, uh, play a huge part, of course, in college athletics and, and what it is today. And I'll, I'll be uh, interested in hearing more about that. Uh, later on in our podcast too and, and going back to Lynette as well very first uh, female to play for the Harlem Globetrotters played some professional ball and then also got into coaching so there was that that kind of you and Lynette would go on to become uh, coaches well, as well and Lynette Woodard was the captain of the Olympic team uh, for Pat Head Summit so when you know Pat Head Summit says uh, this is who I want to be the captain of the Olympic team it was my teammate Lynette Woodard uh, uh, but uh, to expand a little bit, uh, you know, those were the days where there wasn't much recruiting. I mean, if you got one phone call or one letter, that was really, really uh, critical. One of the reasons that I got recruited was because there was one summer camp in all of Missouri, literally. It's when colleges didn't have summer camps for girls. Nobody had summer camps for girls. But a guy by the name of Tom Roberts uh, had what he called Mississippi Hills Girls Basketball School. And I ended up getting to go to summer camp a couple of summers. The University of Kansas assistant coach happened to work the camp to try to supplement her summer income. A woman by the name of Sheila Mormon. And at that summer camp, she recruited a couple of us out of uh, that camp. In fact, one of my very dearest friends, Leanne Wilcox, a uh, married name Flutnicky, uh, ended up going to Kansas State the day I decided to go to Kansas. And of course, we played each other about five times a year, uh, a brutal rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> a brutal but hopefully friendly well, rivalry. We, we uh, were friendly, hopefully. but the fans, you know, the Kansas and Kansas State fans still aren't very friendly. 
<laughs> no, absolutely. Um, so very successful career at KU, played with uh, some some great players. So you graduate from KU, and then you're drafted by the New Jersey Gyms, a professional team. Kind of talk to me about being drafted, and then you chose to go into coaching instead of playing. I think you had a year there where you uh, finished your degree in student taught at Lawrence High School in Kansas, and correct me if the timing's a little off there, uh, but you decided to essentially forego playing professionally and go no, into coaching. No, you're absolutely right, Tyler. I'm very impressed with your uh, your detail and in getting into this history that I don't think anybody else has ever asked me, so... Uh, thank you for your uh, research, but uh, your timing is absolutely right. At the University of Kansas, I could not do my student teaching during playing. Uh, you just couldn't do it. So I was on the four and a half year plan. That half year was a uh, student teaching at Lawrence High School. Um, and my opportunities at that point is I did get drafted by the New Jersey gyms, uh, um, I knew players that were playing out in the league at that time. And in the beginning of the league, everything was fine, but later players weren't being paid. So I was balancing actually mm -hmm. going overseas and playing in Italy, which I had an opportunity there um, playing with the New Jersey gyms, or I always knew I wanted to coach and, I had an opportunity come up. It was actually the assistant coach from Kansas State, a woman by the name of Jane mm -hmm. Schrader. Of course, playing them five times a year, um, knew me well as a player, and she got the head job at the University of Illinois, and I inquired about a graduate assistant position, which I needed to get my graduate degree. She offered it to me. Uh, and I said, well, let's balance these things, and I'm going to go ahead and take this opportunity while it's here. Kansas State was really the very disciplined, always in great shape program that I had great admiration for. In fact, one time while I was a player, I had uh, we had a day off, and I called the Kansas State coaches. I still can't believe this. We still were going to play them a couple times. And I said, you know, I have a day off. You all are practicing. Would you mind if I came and watch practice for my later coaching career? Oh, and wow. Tyler, they said yes. So I sat up oh, there wow. and watched them practice, spent a little bit of time with their coaches and I was a Kansas player going to watch the Kansas State. Uh, maybe, I think maybe that impressed them. I don't know. But, you know, uh, Coach Schrader hired me quickly. And lo and behold, uh, an opportunity. They got to add a position at semester. So at semester, I became a full-time assistant coach instead of a graduate assistant. Wow. And in that, it looks like, too, in doing some of my research, you did have an NCAA tournament appearance uh, at Illinois. Uh, it looks like your last year, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does look like, or it was shortly thereafter you had you had left that they appeared in no, the NCAA uh, well, tournament. Well, we, we had the chance to get to the NCAA tournament for maybe the first time in Illinois history. Hold me to that. But it had been, a if they ever had been. So it was a very exciting time uh, at University of Illinois. And 
we had two players there uh, that were identical twins, one by the name of Lisa Robinson, the other by the name of Lynette Robinson. And Lynette, of course, was my longtime assistant, first person I ever hired when I got to be head coach at Southwest Missouri State and was there for my entire career at uh, Springfield and in Ann Arbor. Wow. And and that's kind of a great transition into our next segment, which is those uh, Southwest Missouri State days. And of course, the being the proud uh, Missouri State alum I am, I, I know I've told you this on the phone before, but I want to publicly say it. Just thank you again for the two final four banners and, and all the players and coaches that came along. Just what tremendous success you had there at, at SMS. And uh, But you actually, as as uh, we're getting into this, you actually did not start out as the head coach at SMS. You left Illinois and then uh, accepted an assistant coaching job under then-coach Valerie Goodwin-Colbert, who would go on to be the head coach at University of Oklahoma. So how did that experience under uh, Coach Goodwin-Colbert and just that time at Illinois and then as you transitioned into being assistant coach at SMS, how did that prepare you to be the next Well, Jane coach Schrader at, at the University of Illinois was a incredible, incredible organizer, incredible defensive coach. Uh, offensively uh, also gave me an, a really great uh, um, base for what I already had as knowledge. I always said Jane helped me put it all together in an organized way. Uh, I mean, she taught, uh, I am always have always been very big on progressions of teaching and what the whole principle looks like and then breaking it down. Uh, you know, I have a three ring notebook on just our presses and a three ring notebook on how we build our defense and, you know, a different three-ring notebook of how we're building our screens and our screen reads into our offense. All of that started with Jane Schrader. I mean, what an incredible coach. Uh, you know, she got uh, her beginning, of course, at Kansas State when uh, they were very successful under uh, Judy Akers, who – Judy Akers was one of the best coaches uh, in America, really, during her time. Um, so that was that lineage. And then, uh, you know, my family and me being a Missourian, of course, I had been out of state uh, playing at Kansas, out of state, uh, going to Illinois. Illinois seemed a little too far from home. It took me about five and a half to six hours to get home. Uh, and I knew that a position had opened up in Springfield. Uh, my sister and her family were very close to Springfield. I made an inquiry with Val. Valerie said, come on over. She offered me the job in her office. Um, not sure why, oh, uh, but maybe because I'd had experience, uh, you know, at both Kansas and Illinois. I, I don't know. But uh, Valerie offered me the position. Um, I didn't have to start. Uh, I was always kind of amazed at this. I was on contract at Illinois through the summer. Val didn't want me to come until like August uh, back in the day. So I had about two months off. I played a lot of golf. I got pretty good at golf during those times because the <laughs> University of Illinois, I still had golf privileges. Uh, so I played golf every day. Um, and then moved to Springfield and uh, was an assistant for three years um, and then got offered the, the head job when Val 
was uh, just had gotten hired at Oklahoma. I had actually, Tyler, taken an assistant's job at Kansas State, of all places, um, had accepted the position. And shortly after that, Val got the job. Um, the head coach at Kansas State at the time uh, was Matilda Mossman. She's now at Tulsa, had been at Arkansas. And I said, Matilda, I will honor the fact that I accepted the position at Kansas State. I will not interview for the head job. You just tell me what you want me to do because I'm good for my word. And she said, oh, Cheryl, don't worry about it. You go interview for the head job. If you get it, great. If you don't, just come on up, find a place to live here in Manhattan. Matilda went an entire year at Kansas State without a full-time assistant because it was very late in the summer when I got hired. So I, in fact, saw her this past year um, at Tulsa, made sure after the game to go thank her again. Uh, Matilda Mossman is the reason I got <laughs> to be the head coach at Southwest Missouri State. Wow, that's a very uh, interesting story, and thank you for for sharing that. Um, and and wanting to kind of pick your brain here, because part of my podcast is wanting to give inspiration, uh, you know, show people success stories, and then give them inspiration and advice to be able to be successful in, in whatever it is they choose to do. So from from that perspective, do you have any advice to current assistant coaches out there who? are looking to maybe move up into the head coaching seat one day? Well, what kind my of advice, advice is always um, because lots of uh, players, lots of uh, other coaches, you know, always ask me. And I will say loyalty is the number one factor in, I think, what assistant coaches should do and what head coaches are looking for. So there has to be a way to develop a relationship somewhere with lots of different head coaches. It might be as a player, you know, if you're playing in the Missouri Valley Conference, you somehow reach out to the head coach on the other bench. It might just be how you act after a game. It might be that you reach out in, mm -hmm. you know, this world of social media and all the platforms um, just develop as many relationships as you can and be loyal. Um, and then, of course, hard work is always my mantra. Somehow, whether it's being able to, um, you know, whatever you're doing, coaches are going to look for those players, assistant coaches who do more than you're asked. Um, we always ask our players to do that. I mean, if you can get in the gym and get some extra free throws in or, you know, you're the first one in the gym, you're the last one to leave, you're getting your extra workouts in, those are the kind of people that coaches want to hire. Absolutely. And it almost goes back, it sounds like, to um, a lot of coaches are hired straight from their playing days because these coaches see players who are, like you said, you know, first one in the gym, last one to leave. This is a, a player who I think once they graduate, get their degree, you know, I could help mold them into being a very successful head coach one day. And I see that from I, uh, their totally work. I totally agree with that. And honestly, Tyler, I, 
I loved hiring people I knew. I did not like hiring people I didn't know. And frankly, I don't think I was very good at it. Uh, you know, to look at somebody's resume and bringing him for a couple of days and trying to get uh, recommendations. I'm not sure I was ever very good at that, but boy, if I knew that they played for me and I could see them and what their character was, what their work ethic was, I think I was able to hire some pretty good people that way. Absolutely. And and with that good people and, and the good players you, you brought in, you get bumped up to the head job there at SMS. And of course, we have already talked about the two final four uh, banners that are hanging up in the many NCAA tournament appearances your teams had. But talk to me. So the first I want to break it down kind of that first five years, because I remember, uh, you know, during my college graduate assistant days, we had uh, coaches coming into a new situation and we maybe have uh, some sort of like a five-year plan where it's by year three, we want to be here. By year four, we want to be contending. And by year five, we want to be in the, the tournament or some variation of that. So um, your first five years, you know, by year four, you're in the tournament. Uh, and then year five, you're in the final four. Was that thought out in terms of a five-year plan going in as you were bumped up to being the head coach? Or was that just uh, kind of how Let me go back a step out? if I can. Um you know, the, I believe, yep. still not sure about all the history, uh, but I believe, of course, Dr. Mary Jo Wynn was the reason that I got hired. Uh, you know, about every year I've tried to get alumni together, whether it's been at my house, whether it's just doing a Missouri State alumni group. But I brought Dr. Wynn one time to one of our alumni functions out at my house and Actually, somebody else asked her this question of why did you hire Cheryl Burnett? It was one of our athletes. And, you know, I was waiting for the answer. She said, well, honestly, Dr. Wynn kept <laughs> trying to get information out of me about my head coach. And, of course, at that time it was Valerie. And Valerie had done an incredible job of building this uh, – women's basketball program up. Of course, she had played at Wayland Baptist on their legendary teams. Was one, Valerie was one of the best players in the country. <laughs> I actually had to guard her once um, and, you know, brought a lot of class <laughs> to our program. Um, but, you know, Dr. Wynn, being the administrator over women's basketball, was always trying to get information in a very sweet way. And, I would always be loyal to my head coach, always. And she said, because she couldn't get any information out of me, and I was always in the office till midnight working, and I was loyal to my head coach, that's why she wanted to hire me. Because I never really knew why she wanted to hire, you know, a, an assistant coach that I'm not sure I had a lot of reason for success as an assistant uh, but it gave me a really great basic knowledge of what the program needed to move forward. The number one thing that I did was improve our schedule. You know, Missouri State, Southwest Missouri State hadn't been a Division I program in women's basketball that long. And so while I was an assistant, we were still playing NAIA Division II. So one, I upped the schedule a lot. Uh, by playing only Division One programs, 
first two years, Tyler, were miserable, miserable. First year, now don't hold me these things, I'm not looking. I think we had six wins, nine wins. The next year we had six wins. Um, (laughs) You know, upping the schedule, trying to get the first uh, recruiting class. Um, You know, it was challenging, but a couple players, you know, I don't want to just talk about few players, but you know, as an assistant, I had been instrumental, I think, in recruiting a young lady by the name of Kimberly Scoggin. Kimberly um, was one of the most competitive, athletic um, players. Maybe, you know, she would compete with anybody ever in the program. And of course, she as an assistant, Kimberly was there first. So I think Kimberly was critical. Then Lawanta Dawson. Um, You know, Lawanta Dawson, Valerie and I had recruited. I had watched Lawanta Dawson probably more than any player ever in my career. One, because the NCAA did not limit us. I I watched her 11 times probably in uh, her senior year (laughs) at high school. Valerie and I were in her home until 1030 at night signing her, which legally you could do then. We got a call at our hotel at probably Mm -hmm. 1 a.m. She's going to Prairie View A&M. Now, how does that happen from 1030 when you leave her house until 1 a.m.? Somehow Prairie View A&M swoops in in inner city Kansas City and signs a whole bunch of kids. She goes to Prairie View A&M. Last one year, ends up at Moberly Junior College. I recruit her again. This time, she verbals and commits, and LaWanta Dawson could have played anywhere. Extremely athletic, six foot, six foot one. So we're starting to get the kids, the players, you know, that we, that I wanted to emulate what we wanted and So in between them, you know, I'm getting Amy Nelson, point guard, Heidi Muller, post player, Karen Rapier, post player, and Charity Shira ends up um, transferring in from Rice. And with those quality, quality people, hard workers, great students, bought in, we started being able to uh, build something special. Absolutely. And and going along with that, I know just in getting to know you over the last few years, I know you were really big on uh, team chemistry, making sure your players were never in trouble, it seemed like, you know, so it was really that having high quality, high class individuals, you know, who could come together and have a good team chemistry and, and on the outside kind of looking in, not being there, that's what it looks like help was really the backbone of that team of, of all your teams as well was the type Tyler, of Tyler, we really were very, very selective. You know, we we called them champions. We only wanted to recruit champions, which meant, you know, we weren't just talking to their high school coaches. We if we'd go to a game and I say we, when I first was there, Lynette Robinson was my only assistant forever. Um, We didn't have any more staff than that. It was me and Lynette. So I guess it was Lynette and I. Um, We we wanted A students because we wanted them. We wanted overachievers. And it just so happened a lot of times overachievers in women's basketball 
happened to be great students, great citizens. Uh, they, we always wanted a spiritual element. Um, we wanted the spiritual element because you've got to believe in something higher than yourselves, whether that's how you dream, whether that's how you build your goals. And then, of course, we wanted a certain kind of basketball player. We wanted uh, somebody that worked harder than everybody else, that dove on the floor, that ran and touched the lines, that, you know, we, I like to watch them win. I wanted to watch them lose. Uh, I wanted to see how they lost. Uh, you know, I'll never forget going to recruit Rochelle Wynn. We're, we're going to the restaurant in Brunswick, Missouri. <laughs> they only have one restaurant. And, you know, we're asking everybody in the <laughs> restaurant, tell me about this Rochelle Wynn. You know, what kind of person is she? Uh, so, I mean, we're, we're talking to everybody to find out their true character. And that really, really, one, it created less issues on and off the court. Our professors at uh, Southwest Missouri State uh, loved our women's basketball players because we expected them to sit in the front row. We expected them to uh, be on time. We expected them to ask one question per class. And we expected them, if we got home at three in the morning from our bus ride uh, back home from Northern Iowa, they were in class the next day. Um, and so I just kind of always say it was kind of like lightning in a bottle. All the conditions were right. Um, and magic <laughs> happened. Absolutely. And that goes for, you know, any of our listeners out there who are in school, who are looking to, you know, maybe achieve your or get your first job out of college or, or if you're still in high school looking to get recruited, you know, take note of this because academics is definitely important. And, and talking to, you know, Coach Burnett here, you know, colleges definitely look at that and your character. So I really appreciate you uh, offering that up to our listeners and and that led to also you had the several tournament appearances in between 92 and then um, a player from Claflin, Kansas comes along and Jackie Stiles, who along with people like Carly Deer Stubblefield, Melody Campbell Stewart and, and many others uh, led to that second final four. Um, what was maybe the, you kind of talked about the formula for that first one. Was it the same for the second uh, final four? Were there maybe some differences in your coaching style? styles, the transitions leading up to it, what were some uh, the things that were the same and different about you as a coach between the two um, final fours? Taking a, taking a step back again, um, you know, that 91-92 uh, run, um, a couple of things in that run were happening. Um, Springfield in southwest Missouri was embracing our team. Um, Dr. Wynn had formed, even while Valerie was there, was called the Fast Break Club, uh, the most influential women and men, mm -hmm. mostly women, supporting women. Um, the Fast Break Club was out there uh, trying to come up with marketing ideas, uh, how to get uh, women's basketball in the newspaper, how to get women's basketball uh, in any form of print or uh, TV media they could. So it was really something that was snowballing. So in 91, 92, 
you know, we're, we're one of the few, we were the first women's program on live ESPN, if you can believe that, uh, you know, Tennessee at the time was tape delayed. No women's basketball was on ESPN, I guess is the point. Um, Tennessee was being tape delayed at like 2 a.m. Uh, ESPN had come and said, hey, we really like uh the game is going to start at midnight. And of course I'm going, what? Um, so the game is starting at midnight. It's on ESPN. We're the first live women's game and it's a sellout um, at midnight in Springfield, Missouri. So lots of things were happening in 91, 92, 93, 94 um, is Melody Howard and Tina Robbins senior year for bringing in 8,000 people every single game. Um, Dr. Wynn, if it's not a sellout and the last hour before the uh, last day before the game, she's checking the number of tickets being sold and then distributing out either to McDonald's or to a local grocery store for a dollar a piece to get, make sure it's sold out. I mean, it, it was really quite something. Um, Melody Howard coming from Marshfield and the success that Marshfield had had and the respect that Tina Robbins had around the state their senior year. So my point is the Carly Deers, who is the little ball girl during that era, Jackie Stiles, who is watching it on ESPN yeah. and she's a little kid and Melody Howard is her idol. Um, so those things are happening then to be able to sustain and maintain going to the NCAA, continuing to have sellouts, continuing to be undefeated at home, um, continuing to beat some, uh, you know, top 10, top 25 teams at home. So now the second final four group, totally different than the first, um, you know, that first Final Four group, when I look back, every position, even going into the bench, are players that could on their own average, you know, 20 points a game probably each. So it was really a talented, self-motivated, uh, hardworking group of kids. You know, the, the 2001 Final Four team was – a really great group of players having to manage one player getting a lot of attention, but being talented enough that in the first round of the NCAA, when Jackie gets a concussion and gets knocked out of the game, Tara Mitchum scores 40. Um, so two totally different types of personalities on teams and, so much attention being granted one player all year long as she's breaking records. I just cannot speak enough about uh, the character <laughs> of that team and how they handled all of that. Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to ask you too, going along those lines is how did you keep that team together with, I mean, and you kind of brought it up, the media, you know, New York was coming in, USA Today, ESPN. You had fans camping out outside in the parking lot outside Hammond Student Center for tickets. There were so many things going on outside. Of course, you had sellouts. Uh, but how did that group collectively stay together despite all these uh, outside things, which were great positive things, but 
that's also a lot for for those, you know, um, especially you players know, we, at that we age. We talked to be able a lot handle. about a lot of different things with that group, but uh, you know, that team made a couple decisions during the course of the year. They quit watching TV. They quit reading the newspaper. They became very focused on what they wanted to accomplish with trying to keep blinders on and not listening to anything that was happening. Um, they just maintained their focus. They could not go out to the mall. They were like rock stars. They would get mall at the mall. Huh? Um, so it was it was really challenging for that particular team with all of the noise, but they just maintained their focus. Absolutely. And, and before we move on to the last part of our, our segment here, talking about uh, a little bit about your time at Michigan and then the current state of the Lady Bears. And, and you've brought this person up uh, several times throughout the interview, but I really want our listeners to understand you know, the positive influence that, that Dr. Mary Jo Wynn was on, on, on yourself and, and Southwest Missouri State and what she did for women's sports at that university. Kind of talk about that, how she was an influence on you and, and just her, uh, just her in well, general and, about and Tyler, know, what she meant to that university. Thank you for bringing up Dr. Mary Jo Wynn. Dr. Mary Jo Wynn uh, was at Southwest Missouri State for again, don't hold me, 40, 43, 44 years um, as a student, um, as a professor, and then as athletic director. But Dr. Mary Jo Wynn goes back even farther and bigger than just Southwest Missouri. Dr. Mary Jo Wynn was on the forerunner of AIAW. She was in meetings when the NCAA was wanting to take over women's sports. Mm -hmm. She was an organizer nationally and regionally and made an impact on all of women's sports as an administrator. Uh, what she did for Southwest Missouri State and women's basketball is the time the woman put in and the commitment to help build the mm -hmm. fan base um, to give every sport, not just women's basketball, she tried to give every sport everything that they needed uh, to be successful and was extremely creative. Um, I mean, women's basketball named her the National Athletic Director of the Year in the sport. Um, yeah, she was a legend. Thank you for bringing her up. Absolutely, absolutely. And it speaks volumes. You know, uh, she has a name or a building there named where the athletic complex is. It's named after her. And, and just when I was, especially when I uh, was working the one year I did with the Lady Bears, just seeing, you know, hearing the stories from other players about how far it's come along because of uh, Dr. Mary Jo Wynn. So I definitely would not have uh, gone this podcast without bringing her up for sure. Uh, the, the What she's done for, for women's sports is is fascinating and tremendous and we're all very appreciative um so you you leave missouri state you go to michigan and you're the head coach at the university of michigan you're at a power five school in the big 10 obviously there's a lot of similarities and differences between the conferences being in a power five versus you know not in a power five so if you could just touch on that just a little bit kind of your time there and and what you learned what 
what your experience at SMS. Well, I always said, Tyler, it's really interesting to, because to uh, Michigan had everything Missouri State or Southwest Missouri State did not. And Southwest Missouri State had everything that Michigan did not. And what I'm saying is, you know, we were always challenged at Southwest Missouri okay. State to win a, uh, you know, big eight at the time or a big 12 school got involved and we lost a kid due to prestige of men's basketball or football. Uh, so at Michigan, being a world-renowned academic institution, mm -hmm. we could academically recruit against anybody. Um, you know, maybe lose a kid to Stanford or the Ivy Leagues, but academically we really could compete with anybody. Uh, football, of course, the big house at Michigan and the uh, – football program at Michigan, historical. Um, but what Michigan did not have was the huge crowds for women's basketball. Um, the community, the size of Springfield that supported, you know, their athletes uh, within our region um, didn't have the group of professional people supporting the program really theirs was a booster club and it's different. Uh, booster club is much different than the most uh, mm -hmm. professional elite women supporting your program throughout the city. Um, facilities, at the time I was at Michigan, the facilities uh, there were considered the worst in the nation in a men and women's basketball facility, you know, Tommy Amaker was there at the time I was, and, you know, he was um, trying to do the same thing we were. I mean, they wouldn't sell season tickets until the football season was over, and that wasn't just for women's basketball. That was for men's basketball also. So, you know, that's why I always had everything Missouri State did not. Missouri State had everything that Michigan did not. Interesting. And, and it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, Michigan has a lot of that football money that you would think that, you know, their facilities would be up to par. Uh, and do you think that's was that what makes Missouri State so special is is the fan support and, and the facilities and just the overall. Well, let me just uh, say it this way. Uh, John Q. Hammonds was a, a man that I admired greatly and thanked him every single time that I saw him because during my time uh, in Hammond Student Center, of course, JQH wasn't uh, uh, built yet. So we were recruiting to Hammond Student Center. Our team was <laughs> staying in one of the best residential buildings in America um, because of Mr. Hammond. So, yes, our facilities uh, um, when we were there were second to none. Uh, now, of course, JQH is even more highly touted. Um, but uh, – yeah, facility at Michigan at the time were a challenge. Now, they have upgraded them since then, but the mentality there was, it was kind of like the old Notre Dame Michigan mentality was, uh, we don't want to have the best facilities. Uh, we have Michigan men who are the best uh, players and the best academically, so we don't care what the facilities look like. Then they smartened up and knew that, 
recruits anymore. All they're looking at is facilities. So they've done a lot of upgrades since I've been there. Absolutely. Um, lastly, here we've got about uh, seven or eight minutes left. Uh, so lastly, tell our listeners what you're doing now. Obviously, you know, you're, you're there on Table Rock Lake, uh, enjoying your time down there, but are you still involved with the university and would like to hear your thoughts on the current state of the Lady Bears? Obviously, their season abruptly came to an end, as did every other program, uh, but would like to hear your thoughts, especially uh, that Sweet 16 run last, last year. I was fortunate to be able to visit with you up in Chicago. Just seems like what a magical uh, several years it's been for that program. So we'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Then we'll get into uh, what I okay, want to call well, Tyler's Five, which is five quick, fun But after retiring from so, basketball, I actually came back to Missouri State at the foundation and worked at the foundation for about five years, which was just an amazing thing for me to be able to come back in a different role, still be involved uh, on the periphery with everything going on on campus. Um, And I, I was never so proud to watch Kelly Harper and Jackie Stiles being on staff and building a program, um, and being as successful, getting to be as successful as they were, which was amazing. I got to follow that. And then Coach Mox comes in. And, you know, when we were talking about uh, academics and, oh, my gosh, I mean, the team's cumulative GPA as a team is a 3.5. I mean, I just think that's the most incredible thing ever. So we now have a team that are overachievers in the classroom for sure. On the court, uh, Coach Mox has just welcomed the alumni and myself to feel a very big part of of the program. And so, of course, did Kelly and Jackie. Uh, What do I do to stay busy? Well, uh, I was at Oklahoma for Jackie's, Jackie's opening. I was at Arkansas when Tennessee came down to support Kelly. Uh, I'm at Loyola Marymount in LA every year to support Charity Shira. I am watching and supporting so much basketball. I can't believe it, but oh my, it's fun because there's absolutely no pressure in getting to live vicariously through everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and just what uh what great supporter you are too of your alumni uh people i've talked to said you just care deeply about your alumni so as a as a former i won't say player because well, I, I feel one, tyler like you're one of our of own game. so uh, I, I you know i have to say well. i am i'm a bit media adverse see you might not know this about me <laughs> but uh i i don't Uh, do many media things anymore. I say it's somebody else's turn, but when one of our own asks me to do something such as yourself, it's going to be an immediate yes. Absolutely. Well, I really, really appreciate that. That that means a lot. And and I will forever cherish my my one year there with the Lady Bears. And of course, following your programs growing up, but my one year under Kelly and John and it's, just it's really, being around the program. You know, even it's when such I was a on special place. Side, you know, Springfield special, I think. So, uh, you ready the to university get in? is so special yeah. that 
It really is yep. easy to love. And I, I keep saying all of us keep coming back uh, to the area. Absolutely. And I look forward to uh, when everything settles down here, getting back to, to more games. And you were talking about golfing earlier. Uh, I've actually gone into golf. Uh, over now, the last Tyler, if you were listening closely, we can, uh, I said when uh, I was Illinois, at Illinois, I played <laughs> every day and got pretty good. I haven't played for like five years, so. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's all right. So, hey, you ready to get into Tyler's five Perfect. here? It's uh, just a segment where I'm going right, to ask ready. five just random, hopefully fun questions uh, to kind of end our podcast. So, uh First question is, if, uh, if you could only pick girl one in the song whole to USA listen to the rest Dolly, of your life, what uh, song no, would it be? No, not Dolly. Uh, I can't say who sings it, but that's uh, it. You know, I used to sing it to people at camp, and people want to know how I'm doing, and I am just so happy. <laughs> I'll have I haven't heard of that, but I'll definitely have to uh, have to listen to it. Um, I am get reading here. now. Uh, last uh, book my you just name read. is Mr. Ryan. Um, I'm reading it for the second time. It's actually about uh, a men's team. Okay. I'm pulling it right here. Um, I want to say Potosi. I have to say the right town. It's they used to press and play really hard. They're a Missouri men's team. My dad, actually, back in the day, uh, got to see them play. They pressed. Uh, they played the style that uh, we played, and they were the first men's team to play that way historically. And uh, I'm now reading it for the second time. My name is Mr. Ryan. Puxico. I have to say it right. Puxico, <laughs> nice, Missouri. Nice. I'll have to check that one out as well, Coach. Uh, baseball or football? Yeah. 1951 Puxico, okay, Puxico Indians. Undefeated Puxico, Missouri Class Missouri. B champions. Uh, yes. Right up near Highway 51, it looks like. Interesting. Oh, gosh. Awesome. Actually, baseball so, uh, was my favorite sport to play growing up. But when I got older, I, one of the stories in Centralia, Missouri, is Cheryl Burnett as a little girl out playing football. And one of the, the boys' dads was out there. And they said, well, are we going to play tackle or touch? And the guy said, we're going to play touch. And I took the ball and said, well, I'm not going to play then if we're not going to play tackle. So football is very dear to my heart. <laughs> I love L.A. Absolutely. Uh, favorite city to visit? L.A.? Awesome. Awesome. I'm a New York I person. I haven't been to L.A., so I'll, uh, but it's definitely on my on my to-do list, that's for sure. And then last question. Awesome. Uh, well, last it's not question, Coach. Be a if you could have dinner but, with uh, one celebrity, living Dad or not, three who years would it be? ago, and it would be Harold Burnett. Uh, 
Absolutely. I, I uh, definitely could see that for sure. He seems like he was a, a very much, as your mom was as well, very much a, a positive influence on you, your life, your career, and and all the successes you've had. And, and we really appreciate you sharing your successes. That your would be great. I love talking everything Lady what, Bears uh, and uh, back uh, their, the their players and their sound? staff. Uh, all of the alumni and myself, of <laughs> course, included, could not be prouder of what the Lady Bears are accomplishing. And it just broke my heart that uh, they did not get to finish out uh, the season this year, but it was not under anybody's control, but boy, are my heart ached for them. Absolutely. I was, I felt the same way. I, you know, every program went through it, uh, but it was especially oh, hurtful being my you know, alma mater, just how good they were doing. They were definitely going to make, make a run there. So coach Burnett, I really Yes, they, they will. Absolutely. And we'll be ready. Coach Mox will have them ready to go again this year, I'm sure. Uh, Coach. Thank awesome. you, Tyler. So Coach go Burnett, Lady thank Bears. Thank you again so much for your time and, and for being on. And, and go Lady Bears.